Hello and welcome to Free From The Real, episode 166, brought to you by PureMTGO.com, MTGOTraders.com, GateFearGames.com. You can hear us each week on PureMTGO.com, MTGOTraders.com and MTGCast.com. I'll be one of your hosts, AJ. With me as ever is Game Master 32 aka KSLA. Hey guys, how's it going? As ever, this is the Free From The Real podcast, bringing you all the news that's fit to listen to regarding the online game and things from the offline game which affect us, such as the release of a new set. Avicen Resort's been picking up quite a few spoilers of late. What's grabbed your eye here? Um, there's a number of things. I mean, first off, I would like to say I love the way that they have adjusted uh, the spoiler season um, to really take advantage of all, all the online media. Like you see, they, they acknowledge a lot of other websites now, far more than they used to, and you see previews from all over the Internet. Um and then also on their own part, they instead of preview, I remember the days when you would get one preview article per day for like a yep. week, and that was it. Now we typically get two or three cards spoiled from the Mothership site per day. Yeah, and usually uh, one or two uh, big ones uh, to serve excitement right at the start. For example, the eponymous card. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but as far as what's caught my eye immediately, um, I think we'd be remiss not to talk about the Planeswalkers. Yep. Uh, we have two new ones. Uh, and we could start with the blue one, I guess, which is Tamiyo the Moon Sage. So they rebooted the Moon Folk outside of Kamigawa. Yeah. Okay. I mean, she plans walks, you know, she wandered on over to Anishad. like, oh, hey, there's a moon here. I'm a moon person. Makes sense, right? Totally, this, totally makes sense. Especially given all the things which this moon does. I mean, you've got the uh, werewolves, you've got... Uh, the various um, angelic uh, moon things, herons. Yeah, you've got you know, people trapped in the moon, a chunk of the moon, yeah. angels, demons, all sorts yeah. of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that somebody who's uh, innately connected with that sort of thing would, if they could travel between the planes, might come here and take a few notes, and that's pretty much the flavor of what we've got. Absolutely. Uh, I, wasn't, oh, go I wasn't too impressed with her ultimate until I thought about it for a bit, because... Yeah, recycling anything which would go to your graveyard to your hand, that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Counter spell, straight back in your hand. Everything essentially has buyback zero. And even and even still, like, even if it got countered, it would still be bought back to your hand. <laughs> Pretty amazing ability. But to break it down, yeah, it's five mana uh, Planeswalker with four loyalty. You can pay, you can add one loyalty to tap target permanent, and then it doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. And then the minus two is to draw a card for each tapped creature the target player controls. And then minus eight is the emblem of no maximum hand size. And whenever a card would go to the graveyard from anywhere, you put it in your hand instead. Starting loyalty is four, so you need to essentially keep something tapped down for uh, four turns before you can uh, basically edge a card advantage heaven. Uh, it's pretty interesting. So, um, you know, we see this the theme again with the first ability being a, the defensive protect myself type of ability. It's very similar to a Johnny Vengeance ability, only a little bit better, because not only does the permanent not untap, but you tap it. It's cost one mana, but has slightly easier mana to cast than a Johnny. So, yeah. And a Johnny Vengeance was um, a key part in a number of um, strategies back in the day. Yeah, and we'll see how it works. You know, five mana mana has not been the easiest success point for Planeswalkers. I don't see the minus two ability being too useful in too many decks. I can see it as being a great Hail Mary if you're being attacked by a Swarm deck. Yeah. Five mana, drop this, 
draw lots of cards and he has to uh, divert at least two points of attack damage to uh, getting this out of the way lest you do so again. It could be a good uh, hand refiller if you're playing a fast blue-white token deck type thing as well. Pretty interesting, Planeswalker. It's curious in that it seems to be very much favouring a swarm strategy and uh, being able to oppose a single threat strategy. It's a control deck's anti-control Planeswalker. A stalemate breaker, if you will. Yeah. Uh, which Planeswalkers have historically done. Now, the other one is interesting. Yeah. What you've got here is something previously untrammeled uh, in terms of design space. You can kind of see why. Tybalt, the Fiend Blooded, is a red Planeswalker for two red mana. A CMC2 Planeswalker, uh, starting loyalty, as you'd expect, is pretty low at two. Its plus one is draw a card, then discard a card at random, and that can be phenomenally annoying. And his abilities at minus four, um, sudden impact at minus six, insurrection. For those unfamiliar with pass cards, sudden impact is uh, deal damage to the number of cards in target player's hand to that player. And insurrection is gain control of all creatures until end of turn, untap them, they gain haste until end of turn. I'm not too enamored of his first ability because random discard is just straight up annoying. Not necessarily disadvantaged unless your entire hand is... Uh, uh, well, perfect, so to speak. If, you, if you've got a perfect hand, then activating his plus one ability isn't really an option. But you've got a perfect hand, so what are you complaining about? I get the feeling they probably started him out as plus one draw a card, then discard a card. And yeah. they found that immediately problematic. Yeah, a looter <laughs> which um, can't be... Uh, well, I suppose it can be fairly easy to remove and he can't defend himself, but uh, even so... Yeah, but giving a red deck a, a Planeswalker looter just doesn't seem like a good idea. Well, you never know. Um, yeah. Could work uh, well with a Madness flashback and um, unearth a set of cards. Yeah, and I mean, there's obviously ways to, to break some of the effect off. Like if some kind of you know Burning Vengeance deck were to emerge, he could be a good candidate for that. Because obviously if you're discarding flashback cards, you're basically losing half a card essentially. And with Burning Vengeance play, you're really not losing anything because that's where you want the cards. Yes, exactly. Um, quite hard to defend, though. I mean, he's in bolt range even after he's made you draw and discard. So, um, but then again, would your opponent want to bolt him? It's not necessarily the world's most threatening planeswalker, provided you don't let it get too big. Exactly. Yeah, because I mean, so he comes down uh, saying, presumably, if he comes down turn two, then you're looking at or that a turn four shot to the face with his minus four ability, which would kill him. But, but it probably lose, wouldn't you know, kill you. Exactly. You'd lose, like, maybe, at the worst, five, maybe six, you know, if you're having a slow draw. So, I don't know. He's he's very interesting. He's good against a control deck, unless they've got mana open on two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or I one, if, if you're on the play. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't understand looking at it. I can't imagine getting to minus six, getting to his ultimate against a deck where I would actually want to use his ultimate. Well, possibly you know, in, say, Commander, or if you're doing a really heavy proliferate deck. I don't know. Like I, I feel like they did the best they could. Obviously, I mean, you can't have him, his, his abilities be incredibly powerful because he's a two-mana Planeswalker. So yeah. to get this concept actually made without breaking the game, I think that's about as good as they could do it. A two-mana Planeswalker has the potential to be really good because Planeswalkers are so hard to interact with in general. Yeah, they're basically um, blue decks on a stick, if you will. If he's uh, cheap early on, it might be worth picking up a few because if any card type is breakable, it's this one. Now, speaking of eminently breakable, there's some fun little other cards which uh, are sticking around. One which has been um, certainly running Twitter red hot is Vexing Devil, which is a 4-3 for one mana. 
<laughs> Obviously more to that. Yeah. Creature Devil, when Vexing Devil enters the battlefield, any opponent may have it to deal four damage to him or her if a player does sacrifice Vexing Devil. Essentially, it's a slightly better spark elemental. You play it for one mana, it deals four to your opponent. Or it yeah. sticks around and uh, eats a removal from your opponent, in which case it's um, a one mana look at target opponent's hand, remove piece of removal from it. Yeah, which is not exactly what a red deck wants to be doing, but I mean, again, that is the worst case scenario. Yeah. Um, more often than not, it's going to just go, it's going to be super lightning bolt to the face, yeah. um, or potentially be a creature that they think they can contain, uh, but I mean, you're playing red, like if it, you know, presume they have a blocker of some kind, then you can do something yeah. like that. And you can imagine, turn one, Vexing Devil, oh, that's nothing, I'll take four. Turn two, Vexing Devil, Vexing Devil. What do you do then? Oi, uh, <laughs> not, you frown, is what you do. Turn, turn three, of course, you do something like, ooh, Proclamation of Rebirth. Yeah, like, thinking about this guy, I mean, there's a lot of possibilities in modern. You have Proclamation of Rebirth. You can dig them out with uh, Ranger of Aeos. Yeah. I, I'm excited about this card, because I like, I like anything that gives uh, mono-red decks potential, because they're my favorite deck type. Um, yep. And it's kind of on the sidelines right now. I don't know if this is enough to get them there, but there's plenty more cards to be spoiled in the set, so we'll see. If no, if nobody wants to make a red deck with it, I'm certainly putting these in Devil Tribal, because... It's nice, and they yeah. can recur, recur things fairly easily in Devil Tribal. Absolutely, yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I think people are going to try. I don't know if they'll get there. I'm going to be one of the ones trying to make him playable as well, because uh, I do enjoy Mono Red Deck so much. Yeah. And he's, he's a great fit because, yes, he's a Punisher card, but it's, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other. It's not like Book Burning, where they can take six damage or nil cards. Like, those are two completely different things. Here it's have a four-power creature that's going to attack you or take four. They're not exactly identical, but they do the same thing. Yes, you either deal with it by having it hurt you, or you deal with it by spending a card, and it only costs one mana for probably a two-mana piece of removal at best. Yeah. Like, imagine turn one on the play, that guy's just always going to deal four damage. But even then, that's not necessarily a bad um, way to go about it. I mean, there were some decks back in the day which were quite happy to go turn one lava Probably. spike, yes. Yeah, and you still see that deck in modern sometimes, like because... I mean, you may not have great matchups, but you certainly don't have any bad ones because everyone has 20 lives, so you just kind of kill them. And I yeah. think, you know, sliding into that deck with Everett, because in Modern you have Rift Bolt, you have Lava Spike, you have Lightning Bolt, you have uh, Shard Volley, you now have this guy. Like, you have lots of 3 damage, you know, 3 damage, or in this case, 4 damage spells. So based on the philosophy of Fire, like, it's really not a bad way to go about things. Yeah. And he's certainly a great card by that measure. Now, uh... There's some quite interesting mechanics been released. Um, Miracle in particular is uh, quite intriguing. Essentially, you could miraculously lava launch someone for X for a miracle cost. The regular cost for that is uh, XX. It's Bonfire of the Damned. It's a uh, – is it a mythic sorcery? Uh, yes, it's a mythic sorcery. Yes, it's essentially um, Comet Storm uh, Redux. Uh, XX casting cost, so – you spend three mana, you deal one to a, a player and uh, one to each creature he controls. You spend uh, five mana, it's two and two, which is still reasonable against, say, a token deck. I mean, you could see somebody using this as an early wrath against um, somebody dropping swarms of tokens on the board, and uh, it would still work. And hit your opponent for one as well. Uh, but if it's the top card of your uh, library when you draw a card on the first of a turn, then bam. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and I Thanks. think that's, that's probably what's going to end up being the case with Miracles, is they're going to have to be cards that are 
in order to be good, I think for the most part, they're going to have to be cards that are good if they are in your opening hand. You can't ever rely on getting Miracle and making the card good. So they have to be playable outside of their Miracle cost. Either that or um, brain, any Brainstorm deck will just be laughing. Yeah. And the one, the interesting one now that we've had some time to digest Miracles a little bit, obviously. But one of the things, particularly looking at, you know, we talked about, oh, with Brainstorm, they're really broken. The biggest concern I have is deck building opportunity cost. Because, mm. like, looking at a format like Legacy, deck lists are tight. Like, it mm. is, you know, like, uh, obviously Time Walk is a great spell. I'm not going to argue, you know, that it's not. And having the ability to cast that would be great. But you have, but when you look at building your deck, like, can you sneak those in reliably? You know, how many of them do you play? Like, what do you cut to get them in there? Yeah. And then, you know, when you draw them, like, you have to you have to set Temporal Mastery back or you have to shuffle it away um, with yeah. Sacrifice. And if you don't, is that the turn you want to give up, take an extra turn? Like, some in some cases, it might end up being, like, basically explore. You know, that you end up Temporal Mastering and you play a land and you, you just got an extra land and play essentially. Which is still not bad. Especially <laughs> they, in Legacy. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, I don't know. I think especially the deck building aspect, like, is, is going to be one of the trickier parts for making miracles really powerful. I suppose the proof will be in the pudding, what people do with them. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm sure people will try it, and I'm sure someone will find some ways to be successful with it. And you'll certainly see big, interesting turns happen in major tournaments, probably. But I yeah. don't know. But essentially, what you've got is one of the power knights. So it's, um, if you say you, you can, a legacy deck would, could set it up very easily indeed, and in much the same way that they'd set up one of the original pieces of the power line. So uh, no real drawback. Now, a couple of other Miracle cards. Reforge the Soul is essentially, um, I believe, the original um, uh, Wheel of Fortune was three mana, wasn't it? Yeah, it was two and a red. So this is even better. This is a uh, Wheel of Fortune, which is normally five mana, which is um, on a par with, say, um, uh, Temporal Manipulation. Uh, So each player discards his or her hand and draws seven cards with a miracle cost of one and a red. I mean, you might want to put, say, one or two of these in a, um empty hand uh, red deck anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if you're playing a really aggressive red deck, because I could see that happening. Because yeah. thinking about it, even if you do, let's say, you know, you flip it over turn two, and you don't want to cast it then, because you still, you haven't cast anything, it's turn two, you haven't played anything yet. Um, yeah. I can still conceivably see, like, you know, you run through your entire hand, and then you just cast this for five and draw seven cards. Yeah. You know, that's... that's really wouldn't be bad. It could potentially see play because if you cast it for five with empty hand, it's no problem. And then on turns where you do uh, have no hand and it's like turn seven or eight and you flip that over and you're like, oh, pay two and do it. And now I get to do something this turn with the seven new cards I just drew. So yeah, I mean, the miracle like the miracle cards are just obviously the, the most talked about cards in the set because it's so unique of a an ability like to put into the set. And also, I mean, some people obviously hate it. Like it adds so much variance mm-hmm. to formats. And also, like, they force your hand, like, essentially, literally, uh, they force your decision right then and there, and, like, you have to figure out what you're going to do, and it seems like you'd always want to play the miracle cost, but, I mean, that can cost you, like, I know one example someone talked about, let's say you're playing red, and, like, let's say your first turn you played Vexing Devil, or you played Stromkirk Noble, and then the next turn you're playing to play Tybalt, the Planeswalker, and start to manipulate him up and build him, well, what if your next draw you flip over Thunderous Wrath? I mean, yes, you know, you can throw five to the face, and that's great, but you've also kind of set back your own development on your game plan there. There is that, yeah. On the other hand, fight to the face. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. I mean, it's not it's not terrible to do that. I'm not I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying to look at it like 
as far as the entire mechanism of your deck's game plan and how you execute that, Miracles can, oddly enough, kind of throw a wrench into that mm. uh, because of the variance. Unless you build the variance in. Yeah. No, absolutely. And that's, that's you know, it's what we do as Magic players because the, the game is filled with variance and we do our best to, at least in terms of Magic, mitigate that so that mm-hmm. the game is uh, plays out in the exact way we want it to. Yeah. Now, other cards of um, interest, there's, there's one which I'm not too keen on because it's essentially a rehash of a card printed uh, in a fairly recent set. Zealous Conscripts is basically conquering Man- Manticore with haste instead of flying and a 3-3 instead of a 5-5 and 5 mana rather than 6. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and target permanent rather than target creature. But uh, Exactly. And I think that's the big thing that kicks it for me, uh, is like you said, the target permanent instead of target creature. I'm I'm already dreaming, I'm not sure exactly the scenario of how this comes about or what it is, but I want to zealous conscripts and take my opponent's planeswalker and ultimate them with their planeswalker. Doable, but then again yeah. you could have done that with um uh, there was a lovely card from uh Time Spiral Block, uh the red um split second uh, rare. Which could do that. That's true, yeah, but I want to do it in standard. <laughs> so that's that's my big thing. Yeah. Like, Moment just, of seizing. Yeah. 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 Word or word of seizing. Something like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I like it, the idea. Your opponent's just there, and they finally got there, and they ramped up, and they're ready to ultimate on you next turn. You're like, yeah, I'm gonna take him. I'm gonna ultimate you, and I'm gonna attack you for three. Yeah. Take him. Um, say, for example, if it's um, Khan. Oh, look, he's at fourteen. Yeah. Bam. Restart the game, I get all your stuff. Yeah. Or like, what if, because, you know, they've been making you discard so you don't have anything, like Liliana, like, you've, they've gotten her up to six, and you're like, great, and you're like, oh, and I ripped this. Take her, make you sack half your permanence, and three your face, and you lose the Liliana. Mm-hmm. It does require a certain um, magical Christmas land to top deck that just at the right time, but those moments tend to be some of the most satisfying in the game. Absolutely, yeah. I'm I'm interested in him at least for that regard. Just the target permanent immediately, my mind went to Planeswalker. Mm-hmm. And that's no bad thing. Mm-hmm. On Never. the tribal on the tribal front, there's some truly almost monomaniacal uh, looks at a couple of things. I'm looking at the spoiled white cards right now, and Angel, Legendary Angel. Angel, angel, angel. Multicolored cards, angel, angel, angel. Mm-hmm. You know, what a set of multicolored cards. They're very interesting, very unique cards. But yeah, you're right. Um, I mean, out of the nine white cards we have, six of them are angels. It makes sense to have the um, uh, angels dipping one into each color, if you will, for the three uh, multicolors, because we've already had... Um, Pretty much everything except white done earlier in the block, mm-hmm. um, and even including white in some cases. But uh, and uh, we had in the last set uh, the Planeswalker, uh, Soren Lord of Innistrad, which was the white-black uh, multicolored one. Mm-hmm. So here we have the um, white and every other color apart from black, Absolutely. which is kind of fitting. Yeah, and I think that's appropriate. I'm not sure that a white-black angel would have really made sense given the the flavor that they've talked about in the set. Um, Although it might, it might have been nice to have seen a redux of um, the first old angel from Odyssey, which was a angel horror, an angel demon, 
could have been, uh, or even a redeemed demon, a redeemon. Hmm. Um, demon. <laughs> yes, a redeemon who uh, goes from black to white. Um, well, I suppose in the magic um, way of doing things, it would not necessarily be quite so fitting, but uh, yeah, it'd be an interesting change of pace. Yeah, and I think I mean people had rumored the idea that Avison herself was going to be black white. Um, yeah. Given the fact that Sword created her and he is a black white card, and also being you know maybe trapped in the Hellworld for however long and stuck with all those demons, maybe that did something. But no, it comes out all shiny solid white, yeah. and it's indestructible. Well, that makes sense given that it's Avison restored, not Avison yeah. wreaks havoc. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of monomaniacal um, tribal things, the black card spoiled so far. There are five cards spoiled. Of which four are demons. Yeah, good point. Uh, is this, this is their Im- improved version of the angels versus demons pre-con. Yes. It seems a bit more interesting, yeah. Um, then you've got uh, um, a chroma angel of I appear in just about everything angel- angelic. I'm yeah. very glad to reprint her. <laughs> yeah, that'd be odd. It's like, yeah, she's just here. <laughs> yeah. Because. Oh, hey, an angel team up. Yeah. Yeah, no. Speaking well, of which, and by the way, Gristlebrand, um, pretty ridiculous. That's a hell of an ability, especially in, say, um, uh, Commander. There are so many modern black Commander decks which are just going to go, right, got my coffers out, got my uh, Vesuvid coffers out, tap everything, 8-8 eight, eight guy in play, and I'm going down to 6 life. Now, Necro for 7? And if you're, yep. Yeah. Yeah, that usually meant the end of the game. Like, I I, re- I still want to play this guy in Reanimator. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. um, because it's nothing else because of his ability. You can waste any number of resources uh, and card disadvantageous spells like burning uh, faithless lootings uh, to get to him because, obviously, as soon as he hits play, you'll immediately dig back up seven cards and be good to go. Well, it's better than that because... Um... It's a 7-7 seven, seven flyer with lifelink. You can essentially attack you, stay on stay on the same amount of life, and refill my hand. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm really excited. And I also love – I just think it's funny to look at him, uh, look at the spoiled version on MTG Salvation. They couldn't even fit all of his black mana symbols in a single row. Mm. So if you look at it, they, like, wrap around. That's not the first uh, quadruple black mana cost we've had. Um yeah, just recently we had Phyrexian Obliterator. Exactly, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, that was uh, straight four black mana and not uh, four black mana and something. Yeah. But this has got plenty of uh, antecedents. Um, and I do quite like that he's 7-7 seven, seven where Avacyn is 8-8. Eight, eight. Yeah, get just tr- slightly trumped. Looking at the other demons, though, there's a demonic taskmaster, which is uh, two and a black for another 4-3. They seem to be liking the cheap 4-3s in this set. <laughs> yeah, that's true. At the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice a creature other than Demonic Taskmaster and flying. So yeah, you stick that in play, sit behind it, just attack with it, and have fun, really. Uh, protect it, and so many control decks would love that. Yeah, absolutely, because it gives control... I mean, control decks obviously are fine to sit behind one threat, but it gives you the ability to get him out at a reasonable time when you can still leave mana open to play counter spells or other reactive spells with him in play. Um, it's an interesting concept. They have the what's called the unofficial, the loner mechanic, which are these creatures that function best when they are by themselves, because obviously playing other creatures with them in play would be kind of silly. 
Although that said, it would be awesome with, say, a bind with anger type card. An instant speed, um, uh, one turn control magic, steal your guy, sacrifice it, get any death benefit it has, swing for sip four. Yeah, that's true. That's, I hadn't thought, of, think, hadn't thought about that. Um, taking other, taking your opponent's creatures and then sacrificing them up to the great demon. Any trigger can be used. It's just a matter of thinking a way around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. Looking at some other sneakier cards, um, I'm just looking at blue. One that caught my eye is interesting is um, Tandem Lookout. Mm. He is a two and a blue for a two one human scout who has Soul Bond. Um, and this guy is really interesting because his soul bond is when he's paired with another creature, both of those creatures have, when this creature deals damage to an opponent, draw a card. Yeah. So anything becomes a Fidian. <laughs> now, the scary thought is pairing this guy with a double strike one. Ooh, yeah, that's pretty good. Swing for eight, draw four. Yeah, that'd be pretty sick. Um, one I was immediately thinking of was uh, Invisible Stalker. Absolutely. Yeah, play him turn two, and then turn three, look out, and now I have an unblockable, untargetable Shadow Bay Jump Trader. I think the three words which would follow anybody daring to do that would be bolt the lookout. Yeah, (laughs) pretty much. Yeah, I think he's going to instantly get that. I'm I'm very glad that guy's a 2-1 and not like a Uh, 2-2. Pretty much every removal spell will kill him. Um, From Gutshot and Tragic Slip up to Doomblade and all that stuff. So I think it's going to keep him in check, but let me dream. Let me have my dreams, mm. AJ. <laughs> All right. I'll not destroy your dreams just yet. Yeah. No, that's, I think it's going to be the biggest problem with Soul Bond outside of Limited, um, and even in Limited. Um, it's just the fact that instant speed removal just really wrecks the ability. Without the Soul Bond effect immediately, most of these guys are just dorks. Now, looking at the um, other options, uh, there's um, an interesting little rare angel, Angel of Jubilation which is three white and a colorless for creature angel, three, three, flying. Other non-black creatures you control get plus one, plus one. And players can't pay life or sacrifice creatures to cast spells or activate abilities. That's a very interesting card. Now, the first thing which came to mind was a card from Visions, namely Mudungu. Have you ever heard of that one? I mean, I vaguely remember the name, but I couldn't even begin to tell you it. It's a black and a blue for and and a colorless <laughs> one one. Um, I think is a human wizard, which basically uh, taps to um, counter target spell unless the opponent plays one mana one, and, and one, one life. life. That's right. I remember him now. Yeah. Would that would that prevent them from doing that? I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the ones that I immediately thought of, obviously, all the Phyrexian mana spells. Are immediately shut out. Yeah. Um, like especially for those decks that play them without the ability to really activate the mana. Otherwise, like that really messes them up. Mm-hmm. And then the other one that comes to mind is from standard right now is Birthing Pod, um, which gets shut off no matter what because even even if you don't pay the Phyrexian mana to activate it, you still have to sacrifice creature as part of its search ability. So the other thing which comes into mind would be in classic because what card? Do you pay life and has a skip your draw step on it? Um, hmm. And little necroposants, I believe? Indeed. If you do something sneaky like, say, um, sneak attack this out and uh, blink it to keep it in play, 
Yeah, see, that's and that's her biggest problem, I think, is because she'd be a great like sideboard card for a lot of decks to like work in against those. But being triple white really yeah. limits her her areas of where she can be. Unless you're playing a toolbox reanimator. Now, um, hey, doesn't this uh this kills Sacklands too, doesn't it? It does. Yes. Ooh, that's pretty brutal. I hadn't even thought about that. Mm-hmm. Well, it can't sacrifice creatures. It kills the um, uh, dual Sacklands, but it doesn't necessarily kill. Um, uh, Terramorphic Expense, and it's uh, currently in Standard Brother. Yeah, yeah, obviously it wouldn't work for Standard, and so I'm not sure how viable she'd be in like Modern or other formats. But... Modern, very viable if you can get yeah. her out, because um, yeah, as you say, yeah. Sacklands I hadn't thought of myself. Yeah, Sacklands are out there in Birthing, and uh, Malera Pod is a very prominent deck in that format. So, sacrificing creatures to activate abilities is um, yeah, that's pretty nasty. I mean, you could use it even just to um, uh, make in uh, older formats, uh, your uh, Paths to Exile or Swords to Plowshares stick. Mm-hmm. Nope, that game's getting exiled no matter what you want to do to it. Yeah. And ironically, it also shuts down Grizzlebrand. Like all <laughs> those fun things we were just talking about. It's like, oh, nope, can't pay, pay life anymore. Now, the other one I was thinking... Go on. No, you go ahead. Uh, looking at uh, Sigurda, Host of Herons, which is uh, two colorless, a green, and two white. Legendary creature Angel, flying, hexproof... Spells and abilities your opponent's control can't cause you to sacrifice permanence. I was thinking um, Buried Alive for Abyssin, Sigurda, and, say, Platinum Angel. Follow it up with um, uh, Living Death. Get out of that one. Yeah, hmm. Um, well, Yeah. <laughs> That's that's pretty much my answer. <laughs> Let's see. Your guys are indestructible. Yep. They can't be sacrificed. Mm-hmm. And you have uh, Platinum Angel, so you can't lose the game. And I can't yeah. win the game. And at least one of these things is hexproof. Yeah. I mean, obviously you need like a Swords of Plowshares or a Path to Exile. Uh, but short of that, I'm not sure what else you could really do. Yep. And that only works on the ones which aren't hexproof. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I bet you there's a uh, permanent you control our hexproof angel somewhere in here just to complete the lock. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be pretty good. Angelic Dixor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can already see that running rampant all over uh, tribal formats. People trying to get their angel madness going. Not actual madness, but just ridiculousness. Yeah, I was just thinking if they had an angel which um, you could play on this card would be uh, an interesting counter to um, uh, some of the black strategies. But mm. and we also have uh, the other two new angels. These I like. These are cards I like. These three, the multicolored angels, because they are exactly what they should be. They're very weird, unique, legendary creatures that have really cool effects. Um, Extreme, yeah, splashy. And, yeah, just looking at uh, Gisela, the blade of. Gold Knight for four, red, white, white. The 5-5 five, five flying first strike angel. If a source an opponent can, or a perma, if a source from an opponent or their permanents would deal damage to you, it deals half of that. And then if you deal damage to an opponent or their permanents, you deal double that. Yeah. At first I wasn't too impressed by a 7-mana um, 5-5. Five, five. Then I realized it's essentially a 7-mana 10-10. 10, 10. 10, exactly. With flying and first strike. Yeah, because she's that much harder to kill, and she hits for that much harder. And then on top of that, she makes everybody else 
hit that much harder. Yeah, very interesting card. And then Bruna, the Light of Alabaster. I don't know what to make of this card, but I'm sure some people are going to enjoy it. Uh, she has three white, white, blue for a 5-5 Flying Vigilance. Whenever she attacks or blocks, you can attach any number of auras on the battlefield uh, and put them on the battlefield attached to her, and they can go from her graveyard. graveyard. Basically, every aura everywhere just gets absorbed into her. Yeah, <laughs> if you want one to. from your library. Yeah. yeah. Well, that'd be a bit first, silly. The first thing I thought with this was... Um, how about cyclable auras? There's not that many of them. The two I can think of off the top of my head are the um, uh, improvised armor from Onslaught and um, Dragon Wings from Scourge, but I think there's a couple of them. So use those to fill up to to um, keep your hand going. Play an attack with Bruna. Bam. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's got interesting possibilities. Obviously, um, I think she'd fit, it'd fit very nicely into our reanimator strategy because then you could just start discarding those auras along with her and the other things that you want to reanimate, because yep. once she comes back, she can just dig them all back out again. Exactly. They do seem to be trying to think of ways to um, empower the um, rabid um, wombat strategy. Yeah, well, I mean, they've been trying for the last 18 years to get us to play uh, creature enchantments. Mm. Um, and, I mean, they've had a handful of success, maybe, I don't know, 10 or 15 in the last... <laughs> So about one every couple of years. Um, it's just so hard because they just with their built-in disadvantage. But I mean, obviously, with things like Rancor or Angelic Destiny, they've found ways to make them good. But yeah, they'll keep they'll keep on plugging away. That card type's not going away ever because it is very appropriately flavorful enhancer creatures. But it's so hard to work with. The other thing that strikes me is you can attach any number of auras to it. It doesn't specify those auras have to be able to attach to creatures. I mean, interesting. I'm not sure what auras are out there that would be useful to put on her that don't already attach to creatures, but I'm sure someone would come up with something. It's more to the point of sending them to the graveyard. Say your opponent's annexed some, a uh, key legendary land of yours. It would probably crash magic online, but I'm sure you could do it. I think that kind of covers it. We don't have a whole lot of news, because why would anyone spoil any other magic news other than new spoiled cards? So. Yeah. And, of course, by the time you're listening to this, you'll have seen a whole host more cards to... Uh, converse about let's move on to our prices what does a top eight standard deck cost these days uh so looking over the star city games event in arizona uh we have a couple of decks for you five different archetypes made the top eight and the overall big winner of the day was green red aggro mm -hmm. and if you'd like to get a pick up a copy of that and try that deck out it's going to run you about 380 tickets. i mean if you remember our modern prices that we had 380 is not terrible <laughs> It's not terrible until you realize just how quickly it's rotating and just how soon Avacyn Restored's coming out. Um, one deck that's been doing really strong and doesn't have to worry too much about rotation because, quite frankly, it's a largely a block deck, and that is Delver. Blue-white, obviously, and it features all the fun uh, cards that everyone loves to play against right now, such as Delver and Invisible Stalkers and Geist of St. Traps and cheap instants and sorceries like Ponder and Vapor Snag and, and then some Snapcaster Mages just for fun. Yep. Um, and if you'd like to have fun with that deck, it's going to run you about 240 tickets. A little bit cheaper there, uh, predominantly due to the lack of swords. Another option we have, White Black Tokens is a fairly new one to the metagame. One thing that I thought was really interesting about this list, looking over it, it actually runs... It, ha it does have Soren, Lord of Innistrad, but he's only on the sideboard. Hmm. He does not start the game out, yeah. Um, Makes you wonder what matchups you'd side him in for. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, I, I haven't played the deck like at all, and I've only played against it like once or twice, so I really don't know whole lot about it other than you want to 
you know, get the dream jaw, turn one champion of the parish, turn two, gather the townsfolk. Seems pretty good. Yeah, that would be pretty nice, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you follow that up with a couple of uh, enchantments to pump up all your guys, or get a big splashy hero of Bladehold. Yeah. yeah, it wouldn't cause any problems. Yeah. Well, not for you anyway. Yeah, it wouldn't cause any problems for me, you know. Um, but the person on the other side of the table who doesn't have a wrath, it's going to be quite an issue. Mm-hmm. And even if he does, you've got a uh, fair chunk of creatures just to reload with. Exactly, especially when you have uh, the recently block banned lingering souls available to you because it's standard. But that deck's going to run you about 275. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, a lot of that's tied up in sword, you have three Sword of War and Peace, which is about 45 bucks a pop. And then Sword yeah. Lord of Innistrad is about 20 bucks each. The swords really do seem to be pushing things up. It's going to be. Uh... Interesting to see what happens when Standard rotates and uh, the uh, wonders of um, the block and of um, Euphorexia are no longer so uh, available. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure something will crop up. I mean, the, it's just so interesting right now because you do have the swords, which are so multi-purpose, being colorless cards that can go into pretty much any deck and fit into a lot of decks because there's so many creature-based strategies right now. Yeah, um, You know, it, it always happens, but I'm sure... I'm not saying there's going to be another $40 Mythic, but once it rotates and people start drafting Return to Ravnica um, and they stop drafting either Avacyn Restored or Innistrad Block in mass, then you know, you'll know you see cards from those sets start to creep up. So that deck, uh, looking at blue, black-white tokens, about 275 Then the next deck up we have is Naya Pod, um, which is kind of like the green-red aggro deck, except it can play a little differently because it does feature some fun controlling cards in white. Um, like Oblivion Ring and Thalia. Thalia being presume, a big one. I presume you also have uh, Malira and various uh, combo pieces. Uh, no, it's just it's more of a straight up aggro deck. Um, <laughs> it just does have the option um, to do fun things like it has place Frexian Metamorphs to blow up Geist of Saint Traps or copy some of your bigger drops like Vorpede or um, Inferno Titan at the top end. Yeah. But you have Oblivion Rings to help control the game, and Thalia is really devastating, because like I said, with Blue-White Delver being super popular and running lots of cheap instants, uh, having them double up on the price of those or pay three mana for a mana leak is pretty bad for them. Yeah. But yeah, it's a pretty fun utility deck, and also features Garrick Relentless now. He's started to make his way into the deck because he has proven to be so good. Um, and so the deck comes in at about a total of about 235. And then finally, if you don't mind going to time, every single round and every match you play ever, you can build blue-black control. Mm-hmm. Probably the slowest deck in all of the universe. Oh, I've seen some of the delights of um, uh, countertop decks back in the day. Yeah, that's true. I guess we don't have Sensei's Divine Tops. So that, that would really slow the deck down. Um, but yeah, it's kind of just sits back, counters, casts some draw spells, does a little Forbidden Alchemy, and then eventually smacks you upside the head with some big Planeswalkers or a Batter Skull. Um, or if you're in a really miserable match, then you sit there and get Nathalia Drown Yarded to death. That's just unpleasant. Yeah. <laughs> Very painful. And all that slow, miserable death can be yours for 230 tickets. Mm-hmm. Keep it twice the price. Yeah. So pre- a pretty typical range right there. We see, I mean, green-red aggro, because it does feature six swords, is tipping the scales a bit at almost 400 But otherwise, about 200 to $250 will net you a competitive deck in standard. Or, or a PlayStation 3, whichever you prefer. 
Now, what's interesting is every single color is represented. Yeah. Twice. Yeah, and actually, uh, I mean, blue white is represented many more times because that's only five of the decks. The other three decks were blue white Delver, blue white Delver, and blue white Delver. Yeah, but <laughs> looking at the uh, five options there, you've got um, uh, one green red, one white green red, uh, white blue, white black, blue black. Mm-hmm. Everything's covered at least twice. Yeah, I mean, if you're really to take partial to a particular color, you have some. Uh, you have not only the ability to play it, it seems, but certainly in some options um, into what style of deck you want to play. Yeah. Unless you want to play a combo deck. Those seem to be kind of dead right now. Although I think just outside the top eight, there was a Heartless Summoning deck. I'm not sure if it was a combo deck or more just a abusing Heartless Summoning deck. Yeah. Um, Tutoric Demon and uh, various other uh, cards. Yeah, it looks to be. It doesn't look to be a particular. It's not the combo deck with like Perilous Mirror or anything. Oh no, actually it doesn't. No, it does have it. Having Gold Lich and Perilous Mirror, so it does have the combo built in there. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's mostly just uh, to sneak out guys on the cheap, such as uh, Worm Coil Engines and Having uh, Gold Lich uses Treasure Mage to dig up your big guys. So that's pretty much the standard wrap up for the the time being. We'll see if the format changes anymore and evolves a little bit before Avacyn Restored comes along in real life in about a week or two and then online probably a month or so after that. Well, it's been getting fairly close. So, uh, But yeah, at least a couple of weeks, maybe more um, past the uh, offline release. Yeah, I did see someone posted in a quote from, I think it was Twitter, I don't remember which particular employee it was, but it talked about how they're they're looking to set some things in place and in motion to reduce the downtime, uh, but that uh, dead period on Magic Online between when the set comes out in real life and when it comes out online. We'll see. The problem there is having to trust people because they need to find the bugs. Yes, but you can't trust people with the entire set before it's spoiled because if you do, it will instantly be completely spoiled. Unless you can fish out the people who will uh, immediately go running off to... Uh, the rumor sites with the full deck list the moment they have it. And it would take a while to weed all those out, and there'd be no guarantees that uh, any new people you got in wouldn't um, breach confidentiality before the ink was dry on the signature. Absolutely, yeah. So they And then they really can't risk that. So I don't know. Uh, we'll see what they've figured out, if anything, on how to do that. But uh, that would be wonderful, obviously, if we could lose that dead time. Uh, at least somewhat. I know it can't be completely eliminated, but if it could be chopped down a bit, that'd be great. Yes. I mean, you do need to have time for the offline set to flourish before before the online set gets to uh, steal all the glory, as it were. <laughs> yes. That's that's what we do here at Magic Online. Steal glory away from real life. Uh, that leads us into the question of the week, which is, what's your opinion of miracle? Minor annoyance or huge mistake? Um... I'm kind of leaning towards neither. It's um, a nice little trick, really. Um, effects which have to be costed full cost in the um, uh, modern costing of magic, and yet you can dangle the tantalizing um, early mistake costs um, as a prize, if you will. And I do quite like some of the nods to previous cards. Um, the red burn spell, which lets you take a uh, six-mana... Uh, burn face or burn creature spell and suddenly cast it for almost nothing um, reminiscent to the old fire blast um, time walk of course and uh, 
uh, time walk on a on a miracle, um, all sorts of fun things which echo previous cards. There's even a um, uh, a white miracle which essentially acts as um, uh, exile creature enchantment or artifact for one mana on a miracle cost, which is uh, with a bit more of a reasonable uh, full cost. I forget exactly what exactly. And six. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I think constructed wise, I'm not super concerned about them. I think for the most part, they'll probably end up being okay. Um, I don't know that they'll be that great. My biggest concern, I think, is limited. Like I just, it's, and I mean, I think that's the whole purpose is to create you no know, tension and excitement and draws and you know the ability to turn things around suddenly. I think it, it kind of, I think it even does a better job of that than um, than Fateful Hour did, where you you know you wanted to have these big splashy effects that can occur in this dire situation. Well, I think Miracle yeah. does that even better. But the biggest problem I have is, what if you're not already in that dire situation? What if you're just like doing okay and chugging along, and then you get to Miracle of Banishing Stroke and just blow your opponent out of the water? Uh, I just feel like it creates a lot more variance for limited that just would not make as, as much fun. It's like one of the problems I have with um with the four pack sealed is because you only have the four packs, the power level of d- decks in that format just fluctuates wildly depending upon what you open. Whereas in the six-pack format, it evens out a little bit more. You see some decks get taken down a notch, and other decks get built back up a little bit. So you're pretty much on par with everybody, it seems, at six-packs. Whereas at four-packs, sometimes you can just get utterly screwed and really be scrambling to come up with a 30-card deck. Yeah. So I I, I don't know. I'm just worried about the variance for limited on that aspect, but I don't think they're... uh, the death of magic and a huge mistake. Like, you know, people think every time anything comes out. Yeah. They're pretty swingy, flat, splashy cards, but um, as a set mechanic and a new card frame one at that, it um, it does pay to be swinging and, swingy and splashy sometimes. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Very true. Uh, but yeah, we'll love to hear your opinions. I know a lot of people out there feel strongly one way or the other. Then again, most people in, in magic feel strongly that the next whatever the next thing is coming out is going to be the end of Magic Course. A huge mistake. It's going to have to be instantly banned and this or that. Yeah. I consider them to be a terrible thing for Magic and an absolute worst thing that could have been printed when they're played against me to swing the game in my opponent's favor and perfectly all right and a legitimate trick when they're in my hand. Exactly. Or at least when they're on the top of my deck. Yeah. That's that's why I put it in the deck. You know? (laughs) Whereas when your opponent gets it, they just got super lucky and they have no place in magic. Exactly. I built my deck well, you lucked out, you noob, and he's obviously cheating. Exactly. (laughs) Pretty much sums up magic. Well, I think that would kind of do it for this week of the podcast. So, AJ, what you been playing? I've been dabbling with some old friends, Masticors, in uh, the Weekend Tribal. Um, There are three Masticors in print which require... A couple of changings to make a tribal deck, uh, as ever they were. Yeah, I was just about to ask. I was like, are there enough Masticors to do Masticor? Because I, I can only think of Razormane, Masticor, and obviously Masticor. You're also forgetting the most recent one, Molten Tail. Ah, Molten Tail Masticor, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's easily forgotten. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, there, he was in quite a few standard decks back um, before I, the release of Moon and Besieged. Yeah, I, I tried to play him, and all, every time I saw him in a deck, I was like, oh, sweet, and I wanted to play that deck, because I did love that card. 
uh, couldn't quite get there. He's um, a decent card. I mean, especially if you stick, say, Basilisk Collar on him, or any of the Master Calls for that matter. Very true. Oh, hey, I get to deal damage to your creatures. That means I kill them and gain life. They auto-die. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, didn't do that well. Uh, had a lot of um, uh, three le- three mana on the board and a master core in hand for several turns whilst my opponent built up a drive and killed me. Boo. Yeah, happens. Um, but still, it's a fun little deck. Um, it uses um, a forgotten card from... Uh, future site, namely Gibbering Descent, which is a six-mana enchantment with Madness 4. So if you've got nothing but that in hand, you can just um, uh, play a mas- tap out to play a Master Core, following turn, tap out to um, uh, Madness that out, and hopefully top deck a land so you can play that out as well. Um, and suddenly your opponent's on a nasty clock, and your Master Cores no longer have any disadvantage. So what card is Gibbering Descent exactly? Gibbering Descent is the uh, at the beginning of each player's upkeep. upkeep you um, um, lose that player loses all the life and discards the card. But if you have Hellbent, yeah. you skip it. Got it. Exactly. If you have Hellbent, you skip your upkeep, which means uh, your Master Cores are very efficient beaters which kill things. Yeah, they're pretty much all upside at that point. <laughs> hmm. Very nice. Very nice. Well, sucks about the mana issues, but it's a pretty cool concept. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Try things. Sometimes they work. And as for myself, I've just been playing uh, standard, uh, trying to see if I'm ready to dip my toes in to play some of the PGQs. I was not this week, so I had to pass. Um, but I'm really digging uh, the Niapod deck. I really love the utility of decks like that. Like I love Survival. Like that was one of my favorite decks of all time, and I played it in tons of formats, whether it was good or bad. And Birthing Pod kind of has that similar style of effect to it. Mm-hmm. And so it's a fun deck. I just have, there are sometimes you have mana issues. I've definitely had uh, games where you mulligan because your opening hand is like four lands and three birds or three mana creatures. And it's like, well, this sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and things like that. But it's a pretty fun deck. I think my biggest problem with standard, I know it sounds kind of stupid, is there's no. I never feel like I'm always going to win with the deck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I I feel like I can win most of my matches uh, most of the time, but it's. Like, I, like with Affinity and Modern is a good example, they're just matches where I'm almost like, I'm just going to win. Like, there's nothing they can yep. do. Whereas, I have to do a lot more work to win. That's why I don't like standard. I hate work. I just want to win. <laughs> On the other hand, it does suggest it's um, a fair balancing of magic. I mean, um, you think back to some of the best formats of modern times. I mean, Ravnica, for example. Um, was there any deck there where you thought, oh, I've won this? Yeah, not really. Yeah, and, and you're right, and that does is a good sign of a pretty healthy format. Um, like, obviously, Delver, I mean, it does very well, but it also sees a lot of play. It might be a better deck overall, but there's nothing that precludes you from being successful with these other decks, really, in my opinion, looking at the, the numbers, and in my opinion. So I, I think that is a good sign, that you can probably do pretty well if you know your deck and you know how to play against other decks. Mm-hmm. Which is, yeah, like I said, healthy format. Well, provided, um, well, let's see what people um, do with Delver and Resort. I mean, there's there may be tech against it, there may be tech which boosts it. There's a lot of interesting cards there, so we'll see what happens. Absolutely, yeah. All right, well, that'll pretty much wrap up the podcast this week. Um, so stay tuned. We'll come at you next week. We'll probably have 
I think we'll have the whole set spoiled, or at least, if not, a large majority of the set spoiled at that point. It should be everything. Yeah. Uh, so we'll be able to talk about that and see what's on the horizon. Yeah. Until then, goodbye. Later, guys.